Hi, uh, John. Uh, and uh, Welcome, everyone, to the podcast. It's a special bonus episode, bonus track, as John called it before. Uh, it's it's um, Sunday afternoon here, uh, yeah. and I'm in Prague. John's in Geneva. So how's it going, John? Yeah, good. It's just been raining all week, and I bike to work, so it's been oh, really? quite a wet week. But anyway, it's good. We need the rain, yeah. I love the bonus episode because, Dan, we've done a few of them, and they generally – I think people appreciate it. I know, I know you and I don't want often don't like being at the center of attention. We really focus on the guests, but these bonus episodes have gotten some good traction. So thank you for coming up with this you one. Know, it's, it's actually the most I prefer the ones we just do the two of us, actually. They're my most like the ones we just last minute. I just because this happened, I just texted you like an idea. Yeah. Um, which we're gonna get into in a second. Um, but yes, yeah, since we last spoke, I've been in Thailand and Singapore, which was cool. Yeah, you've been really doing some nice traveling. And also, yeah. it's great to see how you're getting a whole bunch of IT directors together, you know, giving some face-to-face -face opportunity to chat and share, which I think is amazing. Exactly. That's what Wolfgang, uh, who we both know, said. Um, my, my job is currently organizing pub meetups. He said that's what he thinks. Because <laughs> <laughs> like we did one in Amsterdam, we did one in Bangkok, um, Singapore. So we've done we've done a few. But Dan, that's a great segue because we're going to talk a bit about career paths and kind of our understanding of the international school market and our experiences. But you do that, so you are very purposeful because you've already sent a note out. Uh, you send notes ahead to IT directors, say, hey, I'm going to, you know, have a few beers and snacks in this room, come together and let's talk. And you were already talking about the one you're organizing for BET. What, what is, I mean, what have you noticed by getting people in a room? What's happening? I mean, like, are they making connections? Is this kind of yeah. professional development for you and them? Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, John, so as you know, when when I started Apps Events, we were organizing summits. The first, first, actually, the first one was with you. We've talked about it before. It was the Google Workshop for Education, the first one outside the US. And we did a lot of events. And now I don't do any events. We, we, we've pretty much, we do occasional summits, you know, if someone really wants one. But, you know, we're much more back to my roots of doing tech support, basically, you know, Google tech uh -huh. stuff. And so I kind of, I kind of, it's, I miss the events to some point. I, I, the thing I like most about the summits is the meetups. You know, I don't yeah. know about you, but like, if you remember that first summit we ran in Prague, we were in the pub with a, every the table bunker. had its own beer tap and there was a competition yeah, yeah. between the tables about who could yeah. the most beer and stuff. And then we went down to that underground place the second night. And so yeah. I think most of my best memories about the summits are kind of the meetups. So I think it's great to do the meetups. I think like, I think to answer your question, I think, it's great for people to meet each other. Um, I think, you know, as, as a tip to anyone now, I think organizing a meetup is, is a great networking tool because you're the person who organizes it so people know who you are. Um, and it's an easy way to meet people as well. So I think it's, it's a good networking tip. And I think, um, it, you know, it, it, it helps people to meet each other. So, you know, it's, it's, got, it's got a lot of benefits. When you do those meetups, it's more a social event. You don't have like, okay, we're going to talk about a theme. It's pretty much let's get into the room and let it organically happen. Yeah, exactly. Well, this yes, most of them. But then the other ones we do are together with Google. So as you know, you came to Bet last year. We did um, we had a, we had like a Q and A with with Google. I organized that. That's and then all what we started doing now with Google is like a day event. So tech directors come in for a day. We'll do like four or five sessions. We'll get into some techie topics about Google Admin, cybersecurity, um, you know, GAM or AppSheet, whatever. And then we'll have a, a pub meetup afterwards. So if, if we if we get a Google office, we're doing the Google ones. If it's just our own thing, we'll just do the meetup ourselves. And we don't have any sessions. But I think the 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 one day event is a good it's a good if you can do a free event, if you're in a city that has enough international schools, um, it's a great great way to get to get people together, you know, for different things. Have you noticed when people get together, they're connect, making those connections? Because sometimes you bring in 15, 20 tech directors and even principals sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And well, yeah. they don't know each other, right? I mean, a lot of them don't know each other. Exactly. At Bangkok, we had, I think, well, we had 30 responded, maybe 28 turned up. And and yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a lot don't know each other. And it's great, you know, because once you, as you know, we'll, we'll talk a bit about uh, this, but once you get plugged into a network, it's it's um, with international schools, it's it's a real global network, isn't it? Like it's so once yeah. you get to know a few people and you you know as long as you don't burn any bridges. And I want to talk about burning bridges and what not to do as well. If you, <laughs> if you you can keep a good uh, keep a good uh, network, you know. 
That's Dan. I love the idea of burning bridges, and you're going to bring that up. That's great. I, you know, I want to appreciate with our guests. Sometimes you say things, and after we've recorded, we'll talk to each other. Like, should we delete that? I'm like, no, keep it. And I well, think you, you do a great job, Dan, of doing that, and keep well, at it. To be fair, John, it's always things that I say that we talk. I talk about deleting, never the things that you say. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay because I'm I'm Swiss. I'm a little more cautious. You know, we're a little more middle of the line. We exactly. tend not to take sides. So anyway, no, it's just exactly. a, a small anecdote. But yeah, what we want to talk about is um, I don't know what to call it. How to get ahead in international schools or career advice for international schools. John, you do some coaching. Um, yeah. You've kind of started this up as a bit of a, a side venture. You, you've always been a a lot of people have, have said you are uh, a good mentor. You know, you've definitely at crucial stages of, of my uh, career. You've given me some good advice and you've done the same for others. So I think you're the perfect person to, um, to ask a bit about, you know, what you've seen helps people advance and what you've seen doesn't. Great. Well, I mean, I, it's interesting that you talk about what makes it advance. It's been really interesting because I work with some educators. Uh, ECIS.org uh, has a wonderful interface called Pushfar, and it's a coaching platform. And I'm a mentor. I volunteer as a mentor. And then I have people that connect and ask me to coach them. And yeah. really coaching, I think, is a bit of a, I don't call it mentoring. I like the way you use the word mentor. I think of a more myself as a mentor. And Definitely. it's just having conversations and saying, you know, I experienced this. I know this person here. This is something that I've noticed. You might want to explore this further. You're not really telling people what to do, but you're kind of listening to them, letting them talk. And I think for a lot of people, if you provoke them with kind of what and how questions, they'll start generating ideas and they'll be listening to themselves like, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. So I think it's more the what and how. I read this great book and I, I'm embarrassed because I forget the title. It was a coaching book. And the person said, never ask why. Always what, how, when, where. Don't ask the why. Yeah, uh, if yeah. you're coaching. And I, I'm, and I, I need to go back and read that again. But I would say the two things that I have noticed recently, A, is ageism. Yeah. So people that you get a certain age. And women, also a lot of challenges in the in being, becoming IT directors. And sure. a level of racism if you're not a white Caucasian IT director and you might be an Asian woman or an African-American woman or an African or not what I would say Caucasian. It's been interesting how some people react to that. And I have been working with a couple people that are going through that journey and have been very successful in overcoming it. But I think those two things are the things that I have learned recently coaching people. And that's very 2024. I think there's a lot of things that you can do. But those are the two things that for me have been ahas is the reaction to age and the reaction if the person might, especially in the IT director kind of sphere and world, I think for women and people that are of different uh, cultural backgrounds sometimes can be challenging. Yeah, now it comes to the age thing, like, I mean, there's, there's a lot of talk now about the coming shortage of teachers and just staff generally for international schools. As you know, less people are getting into teaching, people are leaving uh, and, and other jobs like tech director jobs um you know demographic reasons like so i don't know do you, first of all do you think this is true there is going to be a shortage of people in international schools and, and if you do think that's true uh do you think that's going to actually make it people more likely to hire older people because there just isn't going to be the same pool of people that's a great question you know we talked to nalini from uh, ics research uh, yeah. ISC research. I and she was saying that there is going to be a shortage. And you hear that, you know, uh, and, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I have the, the exact numbers, but I think there is a pattern where there's a shortage. I think, yes, maybe schools will start looking at senior, you know, people that are veterans. Often the problem, I think, and is that if you're at 55 or even, let's say, 60 and above, People anticipate that you're going to have certain salary expectations. You're at the end of your oh, career. Oh, that's the point. It's not necessarily the age. It's more like what you're going to be asking for in terms of money and things. And it could be, you know. And, I, yeah, and people yeah, yeah. say, well, they're only going to be there five more years. 
The other thing is I know I've been a candidate in certain Asian countries as finalists. And because of where I was in my age, they were like, oh, you can't keep going because there's a restriction of 60 or, you know, we don't want. The, the, so there has been kind of that duality. I think, you know, one thing that I, it's interesting in Switzerland, there's a lot of talk about companies starting to turn to more senior, uh, I mean, we'll call them senior citizens, whatever, you know, people of the third age or uh, older adults, uh, they're looking at them because they come with so much experience and wisdom and they tend to be a little more level-headed. That's not, yeah. that's a generalization. And you're starting to see more traffic in the local press about how companies are leveraging, bringing old expertise back in. I think, you know, the fact is there are a lot of phenomenal teachers. I don't think age really is an impact if you're a good or bad teacher. I think that's often the misconception. But I think so often there's the perception if you've been, you know, on the circuit for 35 years, you're going to have certain salary expectations. And chances are when you go to new school, they often uh, have a cap on where you come in, you know, five, 10 years. And so if you've got 20 years, they might only honor 10 years. And so for some people that becomes an issue because they have financial obligations. They might be, you know, getting ready for retirement. So I think those things come into play. But ageism, I think, yeah, there is, there is a misconception. And I think often they're like, oh, they're a burnt out teacher. And I, disagree completely there are amazing teachers out there that have oh, been in 30 yeah. 40 years and i i am i'm surrounded by them in my own professional capacity and it really bothers me to hear that but you know that's the way sometimes life is there are things that happen that you can't control it's funny like do you think um if you are a teaching couple it could help you like one of one of the pieces of advice i've written down here is like marry a teacher <laughs> <laughs> because like well, yours generally you know so i think what about if you were say let's say you're a 60 year old your wife's a teacher uh i mean I, which a lot of our friends are you know they have teaching couples I, I, do you think that will help your chances because schools generally i mean we can mention that but schools i believe generally prefer teaching couples finding them more stable etc i think there is that you know i think th a lot of this is partly tied to myth and stories of the circuit i don't yeah. think all these things are real factual but there are patterns and definitely you know i know when i was recruiting uh, as an administrator with the other leadership team members a couple was always interesting if you could get two people because for visas moving allowance there're just a lot of financial benefits and i know this yeah. sounds terrible but the f and then also you know some schools think if the couple comes with children there's stability because once the kids get into the school they might not decide to move as quickly so there those all those things come into play are they fact and hard and stone no but i think those the your observations are absolutely correct i think for single teachers and also sometimes you know it, it's easier i think what's hard is if you are a, a married couple and you're spouse or partner is not an educator and then yeah. you bring two children there are many schools that are starting to say one contract one child and if you have three dependents some schools will be like sorry uh we can't actually move forward on that you know you know what's interesting about about the free tuition for children so i was at a, i was at a uk independent school event uh, together with google like a month ago and uh, a lot of the, it was like most IT directors from UK private schools, and a lot of them were saying that due to the financial constraints these schools are under, a lot of them are only paying half fees now. So no free places, a half fee, and 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 they were basically saying, look, we, that, even with a half fee, we can't afford it. So the kids are going; they're not going to the school, which implies to me that whole model could start breaking down in the UK because it's they they get teachers, you know, they probably they probably get better conditions in the state sector, you know, in terms of holidays and pension and stuff, but they, they go there because they get free education for their kids and if that is not happening, I think that's going to cause a lot of issues. I remember being at a recruitment fair many years ago and a school director told uh my wife and I only have two kids if you're going to do a career in international schools, which I was like, what is that? Really? And uh, this was many years ago. And I know nowadays it would be completely inappropriate to say or uh, but it was not out of spite. He was just saying, if you're thinking of being in this circuit, you know, there are schools that basically took, you know, a couple gets to one contract, one child gets the free tuition. What's happening is in some countries, the the free tuition now is a taxable benefit. So, yeah, I believe it is a dog. 
Yeah. And so that and then some schools, you know, if you have more than two children, they say the third one we won't pay. But of course, you, you know, so I think that all becomes complicated. But it's a bit like a, a puzzle in a math game. I think if you are educators on the circuit, different schools in different countries have different rules and none are really hard, fast patterns. But I think you have to be really mindful and do your homework and find out. And I think a lot of this is often tied to finances, you know having four children uh, paid by the school and two teachers, that's quite expensive. I remember being yeah. in a school where we counted, we had over 52 kids uh, in the primary school that were faculty members. And that yeah. becomes quite expensive. And I remember, you know, people highlighting that uh, at a board level. It's interesting. So related to the free place, um, and also your point. So your second point was about you know race, etc. And again, you know much more than I do about about the racial discrimination and and how that works. Obviously, you work for school. I mean, one thing I would I've observed is that um, there's discrimination. It's not even discrimination. It's like, it's like it's like built into a system. Like local hires and foreign hires get treated a certain way. You know, like you know, the, the people who hired locally uh, and the people who have on international contracts. I mean, obviously someone, um, one of your team at International School of Prague, who you were definitely something of a mentor for, who I still know. I mean, he, you know, he, he asked International School of Prague, could I get free tuition for my kids? They said no. And fortunately, he managed to find another school in Prague where he, has, he could get the free tuition. But, you know, had he come in on an expat contract, he might have had a better situation there. Do you think? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Do you, yeah, do you want to comment on that? And I also, let's talk about how people who come in as as local hires, as they're called, like how can they advance in the circuit? Is it just move yeah. to a different school with experience? So on the first question, there is no doubt that in different international schools, depend, depending labor laws and the situation, there are different ways. I know that I have been in schools in more developing countries where the local staff were paid very differently than the expatriate staff. We, you know, expatriate staff might have got a housing allowance, might have got a flight, maybe private medical, while maybe the local staff were tapping into the local medical system, local pension plan, and were not getting flights. So I think every area is very different. I think it can become contentious. I think in certain areas of the world where there are rules and, and unions and legal ramifications, you get that equity where local and foreign have the same packages and the same benefits. But I think it depends where you are geographically and also what the legal setup is for labor laws and things like that. So that is definitely sometimes... and. I think, you know, sometimes some schools might take advantage of that or not take advantage of it. So I think it happens between the two. Definitely. And I think like one thing I've noticed is like, just like the example of, of, of the person we both know, like, let's say you are a local hire and, and you and you know you're not getting the benefits that you would have got recruited. You know, you've got that experience of that school. You can then apply to another school, and then you're not going to be a local hire there. You're going to be a, an overseas hire. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. And and I, you know, and when talking and mentoring of different people, uh, I've always, you know, often the, the bitter reality is you're better off leaving the school and physically going recruiting. So if you're a local hire and you want to have, okay, say, an expat status, then going out on the circuit, you're going to get that. Often it's quite hard if you're a local hire to get an overseas hire contract within the same institution. I, but yeah, that, that varies. So. There are a lot of nuances and variables. So, But so. I know that often I have talked to people that maybe are in an international school but are a local citizen, and they want to, you know, expand their professional horizons they want to grow and maybe want to go into leadership generally i've had to say guess what i think that might you need to maybe explore the option of uh going abroad definitely and i've heard of people living in the city like prague for example and they've actually gone to the overseas recruiting fair to get to get brought in as a foreign hire, even even though they were currently living in prague when they applied for the job you know which is an interesting workaround to, to, to do that yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think people get very creative and try different things. Yeah, yeah, exa exactly. Uh, getting to international schools at different stages of their life. Sometimes it's like um, they do it for a few years and move out. Sometimes people get into it, into it later in life, you know? Um, yeah. 
do you, do you have you seen any any kind of patterns like do people you know do it for their whole lives or do they is it something they try for a few years and maybe do something else maybe go to work in in, in business as opposed to education or what, what have you found and, and do people leave and come back as well do people sometimes take a break and then decide to come back I definitely have, you know, have uh, colleagues and people, acquaintances on the circuit that have maybe gone back to their home country because of uh, maybe wanting to get a degree or get further education. So there are even, I know, some Americans go back because they want to get residency. So the university fees are not as high for yeah. their uh, children. I, I think it varies. You know, th there's no doubt most international schools, and that might be changing, you need to have X amount of years of teaching experience. So generally, you know, between two and five years, you need to have under your belt before often schools will start talking to you. That might have changed, but that's from my past experience. And I think, you know, people that this life of international school educator, there's a lot of wonderful things about it. And I think people yeah. get very used to it. The other thing that happens is you leave your home country and then you're gone for 10 years. You go back. It's a very different place. And yeah. I know sometimes I have a few friends that have gone back uh, to uh, their home country and maybe gone into the local education system, the transition has often been quite challenging and it's taken two to three years. So some people say, okay, after two years, I can't do this. I'm going back on the circuit or others just say, I'm going to make a commitment. But I think those transitions, and that has nothing to do with, I think, being an educator. It has to do who you are as a human being and you've traveled yeah. maybe to Asia and worked there 10 years and then five years in the Middle East. And then you go back to your home country country it's a very different place going back during the holidays is not the same as living there full-time and you know what i think i'm sure it's really different thinking about it depending on your sort of marital situation or relationship situation because like you know if you're married and you move around together you had this whole experience and as a family your family's moving and, you, and you, you kind of get this we've talked about the third culture type thing but you're like an international family but i think imagine if you were a single person and you come home after all this time and you don't know your own home country i get that that must be quite a strange experience i guess yeah absolutely and the other thing is also you know for for kids you know i mean i think we talked to ruth and valerie and jane about this whole third culture dynamic is, you know, where's their identity and everything else. But, you know, it's amazing. You know, you go on the circuit and you bump into people. Uh, you know, this weekend I was at a social event and I had brought a friend and they met somebody else and they had a common, you know, it's kind of a six degrees of separation. It, it is a wonderful experience. You know, I think things have changed. You know, we've been talking about a for-profit. I think, you know, there were what they called the amazing packages, you know, where people would go to a challenging geographic area and live in a compound for 10 years and, and you know, make a build a nest egg. I'm not sure that that's all still happening. I think, you know, things vary. I I think also, you know, the world's become more expensive and, yeah. uh, you know, money doesn't go as far as way. I think the packages, my observation uh, based like right, like boots on the ground now is um, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, you can make a lot of money as an international school educator. You know, if you go okay. as a teaching couple, you know, you can save, save a lot of money. And I think um, if you work for sort of tier one schools in Asia and the Middle East, you know, like, you know, like a Singapore American school or, or a similar school to that, I think you, same thing. But you're right. I think for the outside of those two areas, I think it's, it's not the, the glory days it maybe was. Yeah. And I think you also have to think about why are you doing this? Are you just trying to build a nest egg or are you doing this because you're an educator? You're really passionate about what you do and you want to work with kids and and exactly. I, you know i'm going to be a little i'm going to be a little dan taylor here a little provocative. Yeah, no, no, like <laughs> but uh i have had many experiences where there are international school educators that are not happy in the in the geographic location but they're doing it because they're building a nest egg and i think that can sometimes impact your your kind of you know your general well-being you know if you're not happy uh then i think that you have to think about why are you there? You know, is the money that important? I've gone through this myself as a, as a, I guess, a consultant to education. I worked in the enterprise IT world for a long time, you know, and, and I could a hundred percent make more money work doing enterprise IT, you know, like it's not, I, I just love working with schools and I, I like doing it, you know, like I wouldn't, like it's at a certain point, like I, I was about the money in my sort of twenties maybe. And then I was like, actually, you know, 
obviously you need a certain amount of money to to live and to have a house and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but above that you know i i'm i'm a lot less desperate to become rich than i used to be <laughs> that's good to know don't tell your wife and your children yeah I don't, I don't know. exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like John, let's let's get into some meat and potatoes let's give some like concrete advice like i want to talk about what 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 things can you do to be successful like person personality traits like getting involved in things like and then let's talk about some disaster stories like what if what have you seen people do that like you know really can, can hamper their career I would so say the, the first, the first there anything yeah. you get, what comes off the top of your head, like what, what things you have, have you seen from people who, who, who do well in advance people from any role in, in yeah, yeah. I think my advice, I always tell people don't move for the country, move for the school. Yeah. Because the, at the end of the day, you're going to spend more time in the school than very likely in the country because chances are during the holidays, you're going to head back home. You might have family commitments. Uh, if you have children or partner, maybe you have to go and travel to different locations. So I think you really have to think about the school. Yes, it's great if you get a, an amazing country and an amazing school, double whammy, well yeah. done. But I think you have to also think about that and also be realistic, you know, moving a family to a new location is is quite intense. There's a lot of transition and getting into a new school. I think also for school leaders, you know, if you're running coming to a new country and a new school and you're a new leader, I think that combination can be quite challenging. So I think, you know, when you decide to do this, think about do your homework about the school the curriculum find out through linkedin and connect and we'll talk about that in a few minutes uh you know make those connections and do your homework about the school the country yes of course you know you don't want to move into a war zone or whatever it might be but i think the school is where the homework needs to be done and then you think about the country what i mean do you have any thoughts on what's the optimum amount of time to stay you know like two years three years five years ten years or does it not matter so I was just talking to somebody because they, they're thinking about transition and they're a leader. And I said, you know, you should really, you know, if you are a leader and, and or even a teacher, let's say you're an educator in international schools, you go and do two years, two years, two years, two years. That feels short. That feels yeah. like you've just come in. You've, you know, maybe just established yourself and you're already talking about leaving because if you come in for one year and you leave the next year, well, halfway through the first year, you're already thinking about your next destination. So I think that is something to be mindful of. I would say five years, but I don't think it's a golden number. I don't think it, but I think, you know, four to five years shows, uh, you know, that you've, you've, participated in programs, you know, you've followed through on something, uh, you've been part of a community. So I think that's, you know, five, six, seven years. I would say for IT directors, definitely five years, because yeah. if you come in as an IT director, and then, you, I, you know, I'll definitely share what you think. Uh, I think you have to be able to implement something and to implement something well, it takes five years. Yeah. What do you think? Well, yeah, is that your true. experience? It is. And my over experience is, Every single IT director gets into the job and says, what a mess it is here. I can't believe, can't believe what a mess it yeah. is. And then the next thing they do is they immediately implement at least one system because they want to show that they've made their mark. So they immediately implement something, you know, yeah. regardless of if it's necessary. I think, I think that's definitely two things I've seen. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. that's the case for anybody that comes into a school. You know, you come into school, you're given some curriculum and you're thinking, well, they did it that way. Well, I'm going to do it that way. So all those things come into play. I think yeah. the other thing is really, you know, connection. So, uh, you know, prior to the pandemic and actually, I think quite a few years before, a lot of schools were starting to do recruitment virtually. So yeah. they were thinking, you know, I can talk to people. We can have five, six uh, at the beginning, it was Skype. Now we have, you know, everything under the sun, Google Meet, Zoom, uh, you name it. Uh, but I think that has changed. And as somebody that has recruited, I've enjoyed the virtual online because it's given me opportunities to talk multiple times and have multiple stakeholders be involved in the process because the scheduling is much easier. When you're physically at a recruitment fair, then you might have your principals, but maybe team leaders or other members of the group can't participate. So that to me has been a really very rich plus. I do think, and I have been in schools where they do virtual and then the final three candidates are flown in. 
right. uh, because for the face to face. And I think there's a lot of value to that, especially in leadership roles. But even I've seen in, in educator roles where teachers are flown in and then they have an opportunity. They might have two, three candidates. So I think those things can be uh, really important. I would say one thing is make connections. If you're going to go to a new school, and a new country, get onto LinkedIn and find out who's out there that's at the school or who's been there and yeah. reach out. Uh, you know, I, I think LinkedIn can be a very powerful, we didn't have, you know, I don't think LinkedIn uh, has been around, but 10, 15, 20 years ago, that was not, you know, it was more like who you remembered and you sent an email, like I met you at a cocktail party or I met you at the recruitment fair. But now, you know, through LinkedIn, you might be uh, promote, you might be sharing some lesson plans, you might be presenting at a conference. All those things are part of your portfolio and connecting with people at the school and reaching out and say, hey, I'm exploring. Could I have five minutes to talk to you? People are very gracious about sitting down and talking to people. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the building a network, I think, is is the most important thing and massively underutilized by most people. I mean, yes. you know, you, you, you've got to do it in the right way. You can't be like, look at me, look at me and, and to, you know, kind of boasting about what you've done. And it's and, 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 and my, my opinion, just just my opinion, you might agree or disagree. I think building in person, there's no substitute for in person relationships, people you become friends with people who, you know, you know, yeah. and, and you've, you've shared a so coffee or a beer with, uh, I think it's completely different to online. And I, I think the people I've seen successful have that in person network, you know, and, and, and know people from from different schools. Yeah, I think I, I can't agree with you more. You need to have the in person and then build on that your virtual connections. Exactly. The virtual I think it's a yeah. combination. I think it, you're so true. And I think that's why it's still important to go to conferences or, you know, yeah, you yeah. have opportunities to go to workshops or even maybe you're taking a, a, a degree or some further professional development. I definitely I mean, I've been part of the principal training uh, center and I feel really privileged to have been teaching there. But. I know that a lot of people in my classes, sometimes I have, you know, 40 people, those connections become quite powerful. And, and a lot of people, that is one example, or you go to a university or you go and do a course. I think that's so important still. There's something I mean, about face to face. Just one example from last week, like somebody I know in Singapore is applying for a job in, let's just say somewhere close to me here. Uh, and I happen to know the person, you know, the, the tech director recruiting them. So they said, can, can you put in a good word? So I, I was just chatting to the person anyway. I said, look, this just out of it. And I'm not trying to influence the process, but this person's great. You know, like that's not going to hurt you. If you, if you have that, you know, that I, I obviously, I've got to know that person's good because I'm not going to vouch for somebody who isn't. And that's exactly, you know, yeah. still got to go through the recruitment process. But if you have people who will vouch for you like that, you know, it can only help you. Absolutely. And it's funny, I had the same situation. Somebody was applying for a position and they knew me. I knew the person that was recruiting. And I just said, you know, listen, I, I think this person's amazing. Uh, here is why, you know, they're student centered. They have some really interesting ideas. They're very calm. Uh, they're collaborative. And, and then, you know, and this has happened to me. People have written to me and said, and I'm like, well, that's really helpful because I don't know you. So then what I'll do is go and reach out to that person and say, hey, tell me a little more about that person. So I can't agree with you more. I think that is so important is, you know, leveraging your connections and not where they're trying to sell you, but they're saying, hey, I can vouch for them. I'm not telling you that hired them, but I just want you to know they're a good person. Definitely. What what can you do within your school? Like what, what are the... What are the must the things you should definitely do to really excel in your job? Is there anything outside of obviously doing a good job in what you do? Is it extracurricular things? Is is it is it um, being a helpful person? Like, is there any anything you've seen that you think this is going to help you excel in the job and then get a good reference, etc., for the next job? I think you know if you're uh, an outstanding educator that you really think about students first. Yeah. And everything that you create is very student centric. I think you're going to quickly develop a very positive reputation. And I think it's about being collaborative, being kind, being open. And, you know, I think sometimes we underestimate those little behaviors in the corridor or those little behaviors in the staff meeting. All those things, you know, add up to something. They create your, your personal profile, you know, your what I would call your international school footprint. And I think that's really important is being mindful that, you know, people talk. 
and you know people notice i think you know also building a portfolio keeping some evidence of what you're doing and it can be really helpful you know presenting at conferences i have a very good friend that uh many years ago told me to read a book by adam grant called give and take and wow. it really is about that when you give you should not expect anything back Definitely. And there are a lot of people that give and, and want something back or take and don't give. And I think it's about being comfortable giving and being humble about giving. I think that's really important. And I think also being patient and creating that portfolio, you know, going to conferences, uh, sharing what you're willing to share. I think all those things add up. Definitely. That's, that's great advice. Like this podcast is an example, you know, like we briefly had a sponsor, but like we don't, we don't get anything out of this podcast. We actually just do it because we enjoy it. And, and, you know, now and again, someone will send us an email saying they really enjoyed it. And, and it's, that's, that's, it's worth it for that, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's what, I think that's what I love about this podcast is we're really, we have no agendas. We just get together. And yeah, talk. exactly. Yeah. We have nothing <laughs> Which to promote. is great. Yeah. Yeah. We're not promote. And you know, Dan, that I must say, and I think we need to highlight that you're very good about that because you have a company called apps events and you know, you're a for-profit. <laughs> this isn't a and, <laughs> Yeah. And, but you, you know, this podcast, I never feel that it's apps events and I had many no, no, people, I, I don't want to, yeah, many exactly. people have highlighted that. That's good to hear. Yeah, I, I don't. I want to keep it. I, I, I just like doing this. It's, I like. I love the conversations of it, and and that's what people should be thinking. Like you said, give, give, not thinking to get is is um is absolutely good advice. Yeah, uh, Dan. What about yourself? Oh. I'm curious because you meet a lot of IT directors. You go to a lot of schools. What are you kind? Of, what have you noticed? And you've seen IT directors and even principals and directors that you work with move around. What are the some of the traits that you've noticed? And you're like, oh, this person's really got it down. You know, it's interesting because the IT director role means very, very different things. Yeah. Different, different people. Some people are. are I would say very, almost non-technical. Some people are just they're, they're coders; they're on a code level, and and most people are somewhere in between. You know, they're somewhere yeah. on the spectrum from, from, from technical. But I think I don't think that's as important. This is just my opinion. You know, you can disagree. I don't think that's as important as the interpersonal skills. People like you, I've seen as there's, there's multiple other people we both know who are just very good with people, can can do well. You know, as long as they're, they're, they're the systems systems thinkers. I, I, what I've seen is I think people maybe think it's more about the tech skills. And in, in my experience, you know, look, you have to put in, you have to deliver good projects. You have to, you have to, you know, build things on the timeline. You have to provide good tech support. You have to do this. But I think that comes down more to the interpersonal skills and, and coordinating the team than, than the tech skills. That's just, just my observation, I would say. I, I can't agree with you more. And I think, you know, those interpersonal skills, because I think as a tech director, one of the issues that uh, tech directors have is they have a very technical team that often yeah. are local hires. And then you have your digital coaches and maybe you're managing the library. And then you have your principals that, and directors that you're trying to, you know, work with and trying to translate. And you're often having to translate not only information, but emotion yep. back and forth yeah definitely definitely and and you know some schools i was at school in singapore last week who you know the tech director was this they're building a new building is essentially an infrastructure manager you know managing all this hardware stuff and then 10 minutes later dealing with tech coaches you know which is just like yeah. uh you know yeah yeah I think that that versatility is uh, really, and I think also, you know, we've talked about that. I think it's becoming much more complex being an educator in international schools. There are many more political issues. There are uh, climate change. You know, there are just so many more variables that come into play. And if we think of, you know, COVID and now I was just uh, watching somebody talk about the school in Khartoum that's being hosted in Egypt, uh, the school in Kiev is being hosted in Warsaw, all those kind of things. And imagine people that, you know, have contracts and everything and suddenly they yeah, have yeah. to leave. They're, they're just, you know, there's a level of risk, not everywhere, but I think it's become more complex. And I really think one thing people have to do is do your homework, reach out to people. There's no harm in sending an email, email to somebody that you know is at that school or has been at that school and say, hey, do you mind just giving me 10 minutes? That's great. John, to, to finish off, I think we should talk about the dark side, the things okay. that can go wrong. Oh, the things. And we can, can anonymize. We can, we're not going to mention any names. We're not going to like dox anybody. But okay. like, we better move to Tor now. <laughs> let's, exactly. Let's like, follow the link to the encrypted version of this podcast. <laughs> but, like, what if, 
what have you seen people do that has like either ended a career, limited a career? Like, you know, is there any, I mean, I'll give you one example. Like is, I think you told me about breaking contract is, is a really, yeah. uh, it's clearly yeah. a bad thing to do in any business, but that can be really very career limiting and might, might stick with you for, forever. Yeah. Yeah. I think breaking contract is, is a difficult one because there you, you've made a commitment and you've signed on a piece of paper and there are certain rules you might not. That's why do your homework before. So, you know, what is your exit ticket if you have to get out and what yeah. are some of the financial penalties or whatever it might be. It depends. Every area is different. I, I think the other thing is also uh, being very upfront. Don't say you've done something and haven't done it. You know, make sure your yeah. resume is pretty tight. Uh, I think also references, you know, if you have, have to you come across that, have you come across people, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you've been, you don't have to even say the country you've worked in a lot of places. So it, it turned out hadn't done what, what they said they'd done. I haven't had that, but I've had people that have been listed as references. And then what I always do is I will go and see if there's anybody else that they know, and then I'll go and ask them. And I usually get, I've had certain occasions where the references on the writing have been very positive, but when I go to my network, I'm getting a very different story. And I that's, think that's, that's really, really important. Point. As a yeah. recruiter, just don't go with those three references because the chances are those references are going to be positive. And that's the idea, right? But yeah. I think you, you know, to do due diligence, and I definitely have, and a few times I have stopped a process. Uh, because suddenly there's been a pattern of other voices coming in saying, oh, you need to think about this. Yeah. Well, anything else you could say that you found limiting? Obviously, you know, maybe how how people have dealt with people. Is there anything you've seen that really like uh, that people can bear in mind like, as to not, 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 not do this in terms of two yeah. pounds? I think one thing is also be very, you know, if you're going to countries that maybe have a, a different legal structures or contractual structures than your own, really make make sure you understand what that looks like. And I, you know, sometimes schools and like anybody that's selling something, you're going to embellish, you're going to kind of, you know, sugarcoat it a bit. Sure. So I think, you know, do your homework. I think also the way you behave, you know, you're going to have a reputation, you know, especially if you, if, if the behavior is unprofessional with the students, that's going to travel with you. You know, I think at all times, don't underestimate how news travels in international schools. I think yeah. that's one thing. That's one thing. That's one thing careful. I've learned. Definitely. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know what? It's also good. It can benefit you as well. If yeah, you do, absolutely. Do the right things. You know, it, it can be. It amplifies the good and it amplifies the bad as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know, you, you just really and also money. You know, if you have expectations, you know, have everything down on paper. If somebody says, "Oh, that's going to," you know, if it's not on paper, don't believe it. You know, as much as you can, ask things to be on paper. But you would hope that most of the things, and then understanding what does it mean. You know, if when you leave or all those other things. I think it's just, yeah, sometimes people end up and have expectations, you know, be very real about your expectations, what you expect, you know, yeah. be, be, a, be ready to kind of cushion and say, well, that wasn't what I thought, but I'm going to be resilient and live with it, or I'm going to be adaptable. Because sometimes I think you come in it with these rose colored glasses and then you get there and you're like, oh, wow, that was something different. It's interesting. Yeah, the referencing is interesting because, like, you, you've got you need multiple data points because you know you can also speak to someone you know and they'll give you a negative view about them. But it, there's also personality clashes. People often work with Absolutely. someone for whatever reason. They're a bad manager. Or they're a, you know they they, they, yes. they don't have a good relationship and they wouldn't. Thank you. And then you know, so it's 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 interesting. You know? I mean, I know people who you know didn't do well at a school because they had a bad relationship with whoever they were working for. Um, they managed to get over it and did well in the next job. And then that was kind of, yeah. okay, that's in the past of it at this point. You know. That's a really good point. And thank you for bringing that up. I think it's also a lot of relation. You know, one of the things I think is so hard for, and I've talked to a few people that have come from the business world, come into schools, you know, in the business world, relationships are built around systems. In the yeah. international schools, systems are built around relationships. Yeah, and that is far more complex and for more nuanced. So I think the relationship sometimes, yeah, you are going to have, and I, 
I will be honest, I've had situations where I've not had a good relationship with a supervisor, but you know, I, I give credit to them because they were like, yeah, this is not working out, but I'm going to support you to go and find something else. And, you yeah. know, I think it's about also being very upfront, transparent, being honest and kind. I think all those things that, you know, we're lacking a lot of that in the world, a whole kindness and kind of, you know, being open and, and tolerant, you know, I think all those things. So I think your point's an important one. The relationships can be really complex. And sometimes, as you say, it could be negative, but you can build from there and take that as a learning lesson and be very successful. Definitely. John, I think unless you've got any other points, it could, could be a good spot to, to finish. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm this interesting, Dan, just over your time in the last, you know, couple decades, have you noticed real changes? I mean, because you came up with this, do you think it's a, it's a new beast from what you're seeing? The I whole think, recruitment um, and the yeah, professional? I think it's well, there's just, I mean, even since I, I guess, so I started working with international schools about, about 13 years ago. And it's interesting, actually, it's just a side point in terms of you being a mentor is that if you remember, John, I was actually uh, looking at applying for tech director jobs and you, right. as a good friend, said you advised me not to do it because you said, look, I, I know you quite well at this point. I know what you like doing. I know, you know, how, how you like to work. And, and you said you, you were very, you were good about it. You said, look, I don't think you couldn't do well in this job, but I just think you would prefer to do what you're doing. You know, so you, you actually, and that, that was actually very good advice, I think. Yeah. I, and I, I think that's the thing, too, is, you know, are you a good fit for that? You know, if you're yeah. somebody that's close to your parents or whatever and you need to see them a lot, well, don't move far away. So, Dan, you you feel that, you know, it's becoming more complex and more yeah, difficult? So, no, good point. So, like, sorry, I, I got just got sidetracked there. No, no, so, no, no. It's 13 years I've been in you've been a, You've been a lot longer, but. We're not going to say how many years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, was in the, I was in the enterprise world before. But look, there's. So many more international schools, even than when I started. Yeah. You know, like when you uh, came to Prague, I, there was probably, there was, there was the British International School, there was there was Riverside, there was International School of Prague. Now now there's 10, maybe. Really? You know, different, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, not, I mean, not, you know, what is an international school, you know? But like, yeah. you know, schools with, with like a label, a, that have the label. Fee paying and, and, and teaching in English. So the numbers are, are just huge, you know? So I think the it's a much different sector whereas before like i'm sure when you started it it was that it was a traditional non-profit international school probably almost exclusively i would say i and, would say when i my first recruiting job there were very few for profit i think there was maybe one or two but you're right it was very much as nalini in the pre and uh, the other episode that we had said you know it was very kind of non-profit expat maybe uh companies or organizations you know ngos yeah exactly absolutely. and we had a, we had a great chat with Den denry machin machin uh, yes who that's right yeah, yeah, and yeah. He was saying, I, believe, I don't remember the numbers but i think it was maybe close to 90 percent, 80 90 percent of schools are for profit now so that's yeah. something i i've seen change there's um i've heard more i've heard people say the same as you that the there's not as many good deals out there in terms of you know free tuition um you know relocation but um I, I think it's just. Um, I think it's actually, a, a, in my opinion, it's actually a, it's better than it was 13 years because there's so many more opportunities. You can find different types of school. There's more. There's more jobs out there because yeah. there's just so many more schools. So you know, let's say you're a, in a competitive like feel like a PE teacher. There's a, a lot of competition for PE teachers. There's just more jobs to take. You know. Yeah. Um, that would be my main thing. What would What would I'm you just... say about changes? Sorry, John. No, I, I, I'm echoing what you're saying. And I'm curious if we talk to one of the companies, you know, their education companies like GEMS and Stanford yeah. and all, Cognita and Nordanglia. I wonder what, how they work with people moving within the organization. Because in my, in my situation, when I moved, I went physically to another school because that school was not in multiple places around the world. So that would be interesting to kind of see how they work. You know, if you're, say, a principal at one school and the mother organization has multiple campuses around the world, how easy it's to move yeah, around. Yeah, someone was, I was talking to someone, I don't remember remember if it was a Nordangler or a Cognita school, but they had definitely, they have some internal job boards. Someone can tell us, I've got friends who work for both of us, they can tell us, but I believe they have some internal thing where you can apply they post jobs internally first and and encourage oh. people to, to to move around i, I think yeah, yeah, yeah i think that's a, a smart if i had a school group that's what i would do i'd want to keep people with good teachers absolutely and staff with, with, within yeah. the group 
Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I feel that a lot of teachers are not leveraging is social media like LinkedIn. Yeah, exactly. uh, and I think I think there there is a lot of and you're seeing more and more school directors and schools advertising and you see workshops and I think that something is you know having the face to face connections having the social media and then also a very robust portfolio not that everybody is going to look at your portfolio but at least if you're talking you can say hey here's an example of how I engaged in you know an inquiry lesson with this group of kids that are seven years old or how I did a IB chemistry. I think that's really helpful for a recruiter to have some artifacts that they can kind of look at as you're having the conversation. Definitely. One last I, thing, Dan, is that yeah. do your homework, look at the website, read the strategic plan, read the mission, read the learning yeah. principles, really spend time on the website. That's for sure. It's funny, you know, because like I was just some uh, my uh, kids, my uh, school, my, my kids go to Riverside. I was talking to some some I got friends who works there and they've just got a job in South Korea and they've just headed off at the start of this term. And it's interesting because you see it up close. It's like, they never went there. They just did a zoom call. And, you know, yeah. they're going to South Korea, completely <laughs> other side of the world to a school. They've only looked at online, you know, and that, that's quite commonplace. You know, it's, it's a, it's it a crazy, crazy kind of industry, you know? It is because I don't think many schools allow you to come and visit ahead of time, you know, unless you do it on your own, uh, you know, your own uh, wallet. But I think that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, to think you're in Prague and then, in November, you're in South Korea next. Yeah, you, you, a direct flight. You often get off a plane. Yeah. John, I got one thing to add about your social media tips, which I think is 100%. Like, I, I would credit you know, LinkedIn uh, as really being a tool that has really helped me. Um, uh, you know, To some extent, Twitter and Facebook. But I would say stay away from you. You're very good at this. Like, Don't call any controversy. Don't get into politics. You know, it's <laughs> as hard as it is. It's like I, I, I made this mistake. I was in Bangkok. We had a meetup. I got into some political discussion may or may not have been related to one of the current world events with someone. And it was like, it was actually good natured. Neither of us had extreme views, but it was like, I regretted it because there's a no win situation. And what did you regret then? What happened? I'm curious. What kind of unpack that for me? So what you both verbally talked to each other or you were doing? Yeah, yeah. it was, it was a cut over a beer. And then, you know, he said some things which I, I disagreed with very strongly. And, um, and I, and it, and it kind of went backwards and forwards, but I was thinking like, imagine if, and it, and, it, and it actually ended up, it, it was a good discussion. It wasn't like, it didn't go bad in any way. But I was like, imagine if this was like someone I was potentially going to work with. Like that could Well, have, you were doing that on social media with all your followers. Yeah. Like, but even in person, like that could have hampered my chance to get a job with that person, you know, for yeah, example. Yeah, and if yeah, you do that on yeah. social media, every, everybody sees it. And, and a good a good number of people are going to disagree with your opinion, you know. So I, I would yeah. say just don't post your opinions. I mean, it's, it's tough because like you want to take a stand for things, but I would argue that. Say, posting something on social media isn't taking a stand anyway. I don't believe it really. I think if you want to help someone, you vote with your wallet or, or your actions, you know? Just, just exactly. No, no, I'm with you too. <laughs> and I think you know, I was just doing a lesson with kids about social activism and algorithms and social media. And the, the team and, and the, the, the fantastic teachers that I work with, we are, you know, it, it's you have to get up, put some shoes on, and maybe get a cardboard and go out and march you know, or, or yeah. something, you know, I think the action is really, action is more than just liking. Definitely.